Sherry is presented by the writers and illustrators of the future. They've been providing a means for new and budding writers to have a chance for the creative efforts to be seen and acknowledged. Welcome to Chatting with Sherry. Tonight we welcome back a friend of Chatting with Sherry. She's been on the show a few times. The wonderful author Jessica Bronner. She is uh, best known for steampunk. She wrote a wonderful uh, book all about a, a female called Captain Jack. You have to read it to understand. Um, so we talk about writing, about new people coming into the profession, what, how you can get started, what's a good route to go, and we talk about this thing that's coming up that helps you to do it. I don't want to spoil that either because we talk about it quite a bit in the show. Anyway, it's a great show. We have a lot of fun, and here's Jessica. Hi, Jessica. Welcome back to the show. Hey, Sherry. It's great to be here again. It's been a while. Yeah, it's been a while. How are you? Oh, doing fairly well. Doing fairly well. Keeping busy. Um, you know, just uh, getting ready for some convention season going on and uh, trying to work on the book and, um, you know, general day-to-day. -day. How about yourself? How you been? Oh, I've been okay. I've been working on my writing and... Um, I've been doing a lot of reading, and I've been watching a lot of movies, and playing with my cat. It's definitely good to play with cat. Uh, I, as you know, uh, I have a cat of my own too, and uh, it's uh, one of the joys of life, particularly when they start purring and are all like cuddly and stuff. I love it. Yeah, that's the best. Is when they're all cute and cuddly and and not being a bad girl. <laughs> Mine has decided that um, he likes to use his murder mittens more often these days. Um, but, of course, I keep his nails trimmed, and so uh, him grabbing at my hands uh, has no effect, much to his chagrin. Yeah. Uh, she gets a little crazy. I mean, she's still young. She's very young. So uh, I'm, I give her, you know, I give her slack. But but she oh god she she gets in these crazy moods like you can you can look her in the eye and see the wildness in her eyes and go uh oh okay I'm going in my room you have the rest of the house <laughs> does she does she get the zoomies very often oh yeah oh yeah um my brother is taken to having her her toy ball uh, he she's got a playhouse. I mean, you would think we have a kid because we have we have two scratch poles, one of those condos for cats. We have all these toys, the thick toys, the balls, the little the little um she has this little fish that she loves. She rolls on top of it. I uh so uh my cat has a lot of toys as well, but as he's gotten older, he just doesn't play with them as often. But uh, one of our friends just got him a catnip pillow. Oh, God, that'll make him crazy. <laughs> it was so funny the first time he got hold of that catnip panel, uh, uh, pillow. And I have 
not seen him attack something that ferociously. Keeping in mind he's 20, so, you know, he's uh, an older cat. Um, I've not seen him attack something that ferociously in years. Um, it it was really funny. Yeah, um, when when my brother brings home a toy, he, he spoils her. Uh He'll go grocery store and come back with, like, a pack of three balls or something. <laughs> and they all have... That's okay. And they all just smell of catnip, so she's, like, in the grocery bag trying to sniff out where the catnip is. <laughs> well, you, it's, it's, you know, she's drugged out already, and she hasn't even gotten... The balls are still in the plastic. <laughs> uh, have you ever tried planting fresh catnip uh, in a pot? inside the house for her? No. What's that do? It'll oh make them crazier? <laughs> well, um, I know they like to eat the leaves, and it has the same effect, uh, you know, as the as the dried catnip that you, like, sprinkle in their balls and stuff, uh, in their, you know, toys and whatnot. Mm. But, uh, A, fresh catnip does actually smell good. It's kind of mint. Uh, and it looks pretty when it blooms and everything. Assuming you can actually keep it alive long enough uh, from your cat uh, eating it all or rolling in it, but uh, I did find out that my cat prefers fresh catnip to dried catnip. Oh, that's interesting. No, I and mean I've never done. I I don't actually have a very green thumb. I'm uh, I, I'm even the most uh, growing plant like a creeping Charlie or something. I could kill very easily. Uh, <laughs> I, so I just, I, I actually don't have, um, I, I tried, I did, when I had my own place, I had a lot of plants, and just, they, I, we didn't get along, I, I, I no. have, I have a problem. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay, not everybody has a green thumb, there's no shame in that, uh, I, uh, I am perfectly capable of killing any cactus or succulent out there um, and of course those are supposed to be the easiest things in the world to grow uh, oh no they're not <laughs> they're not I've killed every single cactus I've ever owned at least we I have <laughs> kept the creeping Charlie alive for like maybe a year a cactus will die with I, I do the whole thing one little drop of water from a spoon when I'm supposed to do I still kill it <sighs> well don't feel bad. I do the same thing. Uh, I can say though, I have managed to keep. Somebody gave me an ivy plant. I don't. I don't even remember now why they gave me an ivy plant. And I have successfully managed to keep the ivy plant alive by ignoring it entirely. Yeah, yeah, I understand that. I just that's basically what I did with creepy. I just I just gave it the water when it told me to give it the water, and otherwise I just let it go do its own thing. Yep. Gave it its own space. Because it's the safest. <laughs> <laughs> well, if, if if green thumb is not your thing, then perhaps don't try catnip. It is a little more complicated than uh, a, a plant Charlie. you can wholly ignore. <laughs> but, um, uh, but cats do have uh, a positive reaction to fresh catnip, which is awesome. Uh, to watch, if you can just find some to buy somewhere for your cat at some point, for them to try it. Um, I 
that was one of the few times that I have seen my cat utterly and completely stoned. <laughs> yeah, I, that's what is really funny is when she gets a new toy, she is so high. <laughs> <laughs> Because they must put a lot, I mean, I know it's dry and everything, but I think they must put a lot of catnip in there, the way she acts. <laughs> Probably so. I mean, uh, I've never disassembled one to find out for sure, but uh, I would imagine it's got a, a pretty good dose, so to speak, uh, in the little in interior pockets. Yeah. And they last a long time. Um because, like, that little plastic fish that she rolls on, it had, I mean, it's old. We've had it for a year, and she still rolls on it and dumps it and all this other stuff, like it still has catnip. So there must be some somewhere in there. It's just a little tiny plastic fish. <laughs> so I don't, I mean, I don't know. There must be somewhere, I mean, it. there must be, like, an interior to that toy that has Probably. the catnip still. You know? Just weird. Is, is it like a hard toy or like a soft toy? It's a piece, it's like a piece of rubber. Oh, okay, okay. So yeah, there probably is, and when she shakes it, it, it uh, probably shakes out a little bit of catnip. So yeah, because she still goes nuts floor. over it. She, she will roll, 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 roll. <laughs> <laughs> she's just she's so funny with that. It's just um I I love watching a cat. I just think it's so much fun. Oh, they're highly entertaining and they're they're so intent and focused and yet relaxed at the same time. And they can go from, you know, hunting hunting the bug yeah. uh <laughs> that is possibly an invisible bug to Eh, I'm bored, I'm going to sleep. In mm -hmm. the space of, you know, 30 seconds. Uh, it's, a, it's a skill I wish I had mastered myself, actually. Oh, I know, I know. When my uh, brother comes home from work, she can be fast asleep in my room and on my bed, and she'll hear him on the stairs before I do, coming up the stairs to our, our apartment. I mean, it's really strange. She'll wake up all of a sudden, oh, he's here, he's here, and run to the door. And I'm like, wait, I don't hear anything. How do you, oh, and then I hear the key in the lock, I guess. Okay, you heard her. I mean, you heard him. You know? <laughs> it's so weird. <laughs> well, they're very sensitive to, to their owners, that's for sure, and to their, to their people that they live with. Um, you know, when... Steve or I are out of, if either one of us are out of the house uh, and the other one is here, um, our cat will 100% go looking for the one that is not here. Mm -hmm. uh, and he just, even if he was asleep when they left, he knows they're not here. Yeah. Uh, is your so. cat un uh, not pleased? Because my cat is really not pleased. I gotta tell you, my cat has fallen in love with my brother. So when he leaves, did you ever see the movie The Graduate?
it's been a while, but yeah, I have seen it. You remember the part at the end of the movie where he's pounding on the glass in the church, calling her name? Mm-hmm. Well, Pipe pulled it, uh, Dustin, that's what we call it. She'll just run to the glass of the window. That's cute. It is really funny. That is too funny. It is. It is so cute. It's so funny. And we're, and I did it. And and he will. He'll come back and look at her and wave. I mean, this is if he's not going to work, if he's like going to the grocery store or, or just going out to walk or doing whatever, going to the gym. If he's if he's leaving just to do something personal, he'll he he'll hear the with she doesn't break the glass. I mean, it's just but he'll hear the her knocking into the glass and come back and just laugh at her. <laughs> And she's done it since she was a kitten. Ah, and she's still well, doing cool. it. Well, it's definitely good. To, it's good to be wanted. Uh, and uh, clearly she demonstrates it every time he leaves the house. So that's, uh, well, she doesn't do it every time now. She used to do it when she was a kitten. Now she does it when, like, if he's been off work for a week and then he goes to work, Dustin comes out. <laughs> the other thing she does is grab his leg ah! from behind. Uh, like, oh, boy. <laughs> that could be problematic. Um, so he'll be yeah. walking to the door and she'll grab his leg. No, don't leave me. Don't, don't leave, leave me. me. Don't leave me. I'll be stuck with her. <laughs> Oh, do you ever find that uh, your cat interferes with your writing? Oh, yeah. Um, Especially when she walks on top of my writing pad or writes, walks on top of my computer. She actually messed up my icons in my laptop. Oh, no. Oh, no. And and I followed, like, I tried YouTube. I tried the, the directions. I can't get them back. They're they're stuck in large. She put them in large, and I can't get them back to the little medium size that I had before. Oh, uh, <laughs> I don't know how she did it, but she actually made it stick. <laughs> I have to admit, I've uh, of course I've got my office um, at my house, and I have my office set up specifically because I discovered this was a problem, the cat sitting on my laptop uh, trying to be, like, where my hands were when I was typing. Mm-hmm. And so my office is specifically set up uh, so that the cat can sit on my lap. I have a movable desk that will pull over the top of my lap when I'm sitting in my chair that leaves enough space for the cat to lay in my lap. The desk can come on top of that, and then my computer is on top of that. And I had to build this specifically for the cat um, so that I could get any work done. Yeah, there are times, I mean, if I'm working on the computer, if I'm typing, she usually just uh, uh, lays next to it or goes on my lap. She mostly goes on my lap. But 
if it's like it's open and I usually I remember to close it. <laughs> like I I will close it whenever I leave the room, because um, I just no little brat will go on top of it. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, the luckily my cat is not prone these days to walking across my open laptop. Thank goodness. Um, but uh, when I had a different desk set up, that was more of a concern. That's for sure. Oh, and does your cat sit on your books? I mean, um, if you leave a book on a chair or on your bed or on a table, will you come back and find her sitting on it or standing on it? He's not prone to doing that. What he is prone to doing is if I'm actively reading, uh, he will insert his head between me and the book. Oh, she does that too. Yeah. She, um, it's like, and occasionally, like, gnaw on the book itself. Yeah, she'll, she'll, it's like, I'm much more interesting. Why are you paying attention to me? <laughs> I think that's what they're saying when they do that. Either that or, even if I'm not much more interesting, you must pay attention to me. Mm -hmm. It is required. Mm -hmm. Don't you know I'm your queen? <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's true. Cats are uh, both um, a joy to have and sometimes the bane of my existence. Yes, that's exactly right. I mean, she yeah. is a joy, but she's also definitely the bane of my existence. <laughs> Uh, she's she's beautiful though. God, you know, it's like that thing, uh, the clear old commercials. Don't hate me because I'm beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. I uh, years ago I had a roommate that had a ragdoll cat. The, you know, the they have the long hair. They're very gentle, very calm, um, and. It was funny. I was concerned that uh, my cat, uh, being much younger then, that they wouldn't get along. And it, they turned into absolute boyfriend-girlfriend cats. It was just Aww. so funny. I love that. Yeah, you never know. Yeah. I, when, um, when my brother and I were younger... When uh, we came over to my parents' place, we would both bring our cats. Uh, his cat's name was Kitty. He had a lot of imagination. And my cat's name was Freckles because he had little freckles on his nose when he was a kitten, uh, which disappeared by the time he was a full-grown cat. So people would say, why do you call him Freckles? I go, well, you can't see it now. <laughs> um, but when... When the, uh, my brother first got the freckles, Kitty was older, but it, he didn't start bringing over to my parents' place until freckles was about a year. And Kitty was a little cat, you know, even though she was older, much smaller than freckles. Freckles was a big boy. But Kitty was dominant, and she would get him into trouble. So let's say it's Thanksgiving. And Kitty would be sitting on one of the dining room chairs, and Freckles would pass by, and he, she would hit his butt as he walked <laughs> under her. And Freckles would chase her because he, she hit his butt. 
but all my mother would see is uh, Freckles chasing Kitty and would yell at Freckles. And I said, no, no, I saw it. Kitty, uh, <laughs> Kitty started it. <laughs> I was like, she likes to get him into trouble. Oh, cats are such brats sometimes. Uh, you know, in, in, in the best ways. But, yeah, I've definitely seen that kind of behavior um, happen occasionally when you've got two or even three cats in the house. Uh, but then they would <laughs> sit next to each other, watch TV, and lick each other. So they loved each other. It was just her being playful. <laughs> well, that's okay. I mean... You know, siblings and roommates are frequently brats to each other. That's true. So that's very true. It can't, it can't help it, you know. Yeah. And in a way, I mean, you know, in a way, they were siblings. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Uh, so <laughs> the uh, that's a totally normal thing, and it, it is can be really fun to watch as long as it doesn't uh, get too much in the way. I, I have had cats before where it was a significant problem when they would do stuff like that. Thankfully, uh, with Mischief, my, my current cat, and uh, his little girlfriend, who was the ragdoll, it was more cute than anything. Yeah. Oh, well, Freckles would get in trouble. I remember one time she walked, let's see, he walked into my mom's shower and she was washing her hair, and all of a sudden she felt him licking her leg. And she looked down, and she couldn't stop laughing, but she called my dad. And then my dad, he's got he's got shampoo all over him because he's in the shower, and my mother was washing the shampoo out of her hair. And my dad is laughing, and she's going, would you take him out? That's why I called you. And they told us the story later. And she, um, I was at, I think I was at work and my brother was at work. We we weren't home when this was happening. Um, and, and my dad was just laughing hysterically. He couldn't even move. He was laughing so hard. Because <laughs> he's all, that. he's all full of shampoo. Oh man, and then you have to wash it off the cat. And yeah, that's no fun either. Yes. <laughs> well, they both. Uh, she, uh, she finished up, and they put her into the back into the put her. I keep calling my little boy or her. Uh, most of our cats have been female, so that's why I guess. But Freckles was definitely a boy. Uh, he, they put her back into the shower bathtub and put her in the bathtub, and and I keep calling her her. Uh, him, 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 him. I uh, put him into the bathtub part and washed uh, the little shit out. <laughs> oh man! I know. Well, a little bit of a blessing, a little bit of a curse. Always yeah. entertaining. Always entertaining. But uh, I'll, uh, we were laughing so hard as my father was telling the story, and my mom was embarrassed pink, red, embarrassed, but laughing, too. It was just really funny. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Cats are really funny. Yeah. Um, 
So my first question, I know we're 20 minutes in and it's kind of late, but you know, that's the way things go. Um, uh, my first question is, as a writer, how would you recommend someone who wants who is a writer but hasn't done anything yet focusing on the writing, how would you recommend they start? Uh, well, that's a great question. Um, so when you're, when you're a new writer and you're just starting off, sometimes it's hard to know, you know, where you, where you start. You start by uh, outlining the book. You start by you just sit down and read. Uh, or, you know, just sit down and start writing, you know, how do you really get started in all of this? Uh, do you suddenly quit your job and decide that you're going to be a writer and that's how you're going to make your living? Uh, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't. No. Don't do that. <laughs> um, so there's a bunch of different methods that you can use for that. And, uh, you know, timing is great on this. Um, so at the beginning of November, well, the, the month of November, for writers, there is an event called NaNoWriMo, uh, National Novel Writing Month. And particularly for brand new beginning writers, this is great because it's the, the goal of NaNoWriMo for a writer is that during the month of November, you write 50,000 words during the month of November towards your novel. <laughs> and it really encourages you to sit down and gather the discipline to do, I think it works out to about 1,600 words a day during the month of November. But then the really nice thing about NaNoWriMo is that there's a support structure behind it. So this is a global, uh, a global event, um, and there are groups that you can get together with and writing meetups and probably online writing meetups too now that we've been through the pandemic. Um, and people that you can bounce ideas off of and all kinds of really nice support structures behind it. So uh, I, I always encourage new writers to to look into NaNoWriMo. It's free. It's fun. It's really just to help you, you know, get words on paper um, and learn how to get words on paper, which is an important aspect of being a writer. Yes, very. Um, <laughs> and... So, so that's coming up for the month of November. So if you've never done NaNoWriMo, I recommend looking into it um, because it is a lot of fun. And it is also very helpful if you're trying to, to get that first book sort of out because people are very encouraging and very supportive uh, during that process. So that's the first thing. And then um, part of being a new writer is learning and making mistakes and going through things and figuring out what routine works for you. And it's interesting. I was talking to uh, Steve, uh, my husband, about this actually earlier today. And so I put out a book in 2020. Um, my, my first novel, my first full-length novel was in 2020. It's called The First Sin. And that book took me probably five years to write. There was a lot of stuff going on. I moved across the country. Life changes. You know, and what it boils down to is life happens mm -hmm. while you're trying to get stuff done. Yeah. And <laughs> one of the things that we determined, because I've been working on the second book in that series, uh, basically since I released the first book, but of course, 
released the first book, an entire pandemic happened. Yeah. And I've been having a really hard time getting into writing the second book. And the more I think about it, it's because my routine was disrupted. Because pre-pandemic, I had a set schedule. Sunday afternoons, I would go, I would sit. Uh, for me, it's a coffee shop. I would sit in a coffee shop for four hours on Sunday afternoons and do nothing but write. Well, obviously, during pandemic, I was not going to coffee shops for four hours every Sunday afternoon. No. And and that that change really disrupted my writing routine and really caused me some problems in getting into getting this second book done and out. And so I have spent a lot of time thinking about the plot lines and thinking about the story structure and that sort of thing, but actually writing it has been a challenge. And lately I've found that I'm finding getting back into routines that work for me to facilitate my writing. And sort of what it illustrated for me was that the routine, whatever your routine may be, is important, is really important, actually. It's, I don't want to say it's the most important thing because you have to actually want to write. You have to, you know, have some drive to write. Um, but it is a, a very important thing as a new writer to figure out what your routine is going to be and how you can accommodate your life and your routine. Uh, one thing that I know a lot of people struggle with is, hey, I want to be a writer. I, I really want to write books. I have these books in me, but I kind of have to eat. You know, I need a job. Um, and writing is not going to pay the bills right off the bat uh, as a new writer. And so how do you balance having a day job and still having the energy to write afterwards? You know, and how do you manage that? So, and I, I will also say that um, I have enough friends who do it that it, it seems like it is eminently doable to have both a job that pays your bills and writing your books. Um, but you do have to find that happy medium in there. And so figuring out what that happy medium is and setting realistic expectations for yourself so that you don't get discouraged, are, those are important parts of being a writer. You also have to find when it works for you. Like there's some people, a lot of people I know that are writers that work at night. I don't work late at night. I know a lot of them don't even start until midnight. I work like, uh, I usually work after dinner. Like uh, unless I have an interview, I work between 7 to 11 o'clock. Uh, um, but uh, I, a lot of writers just, they, they do it midnight till two o'clock and then there's people who are more I used to be a morning writer it's really weird pre-pandemic I was a morning writer now I'm a night writer that doesn't sound right but that's what <laughs> I, I understand what you mean um and yeah you're absolutely right finding the time of day that uh best suits your creative I guess flow um is really important I right now I'm finding that I would, as, as an adult who is disciplined, I would like my writing time to be from 5 to 6 p.m. That does not actually work for me. <laughs> what I'm finding, however, is that lunchtime is great. 
it's earlier in the day, my mind is clearer, I've already had my coffee in the morning, um, you know, and I can still set aside a, a, a dedicated block of time, it's just a smaller block of time because, hey, I do still have a job. So setting aside and being able to do it at lunchtime is what's working for me right now. I actually uh, interviewed this fellow writer, and she said something really interesting that I had never heard before. But as you get older, your your brain changes to the point where it it works its best at certain times, and it, it'll change the times as you get older. And when you're older, the the hardest stuff you have to write, things that are really complicated, or just things you have to do that's really complicated. There's a block of time for most people from morning to like 1 o'clock, which is like the best time to do really complicated hard stuff. Like say you're do, you're working on the structure of your book. That's a really good time to do it. If you're wor working on dialogue or other stuff, you can do it whenever you want to do it. But if you're working on structure or editing or something like that, that's something you really have to concentrate on it's best to do it during that period, especially if you're older. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was really interesting. I had never heard of that before. But I started doing that for like when, I, um, when I'm working on, like right now I'm working on editing on one of on my book, and I just, it's, I'm doing a complete restructure. And so I've been doing that in the morning but the original stuff, the dialogue and, and anything that I'm adding to it, that's easier for me. Dialogue's really easy for me, so I do that at night. You don't have to do one time a day to do stuff. You do it when it works best for you. <laughs> yeah, and understanding yourself and your understanding what times work best for you for different aspects uh, are very important. Um, there is a writer that I know who is um, a full-time professional writer. This is what he has done uh, as his job, as his only job, for probably 20 years at this point. He's a successful author. Um, and uh, what he does is he has, he will work on one project in the morning, the creation of the project, so new writing. And new writing for new projects happen between, I don't know, 8 and noon, and then he'll take a break for lunch, and then the afternoon is dedicated to either editing or if he needs to do any, you know, business things, uh, social media posts, that sort of stuff is for the afternoon, and, and that's what works for him, mm -hmm. uh, and I will say he's a very productive author. He puts out usually four books a year. Wow, that's um, really productive. Yeah, is <laughs> a very productive author. Um, and of course, you know, given that he has uh, made it to the level where he can do this as a full-time job, then he has the benefit of being able to say, okay, you know, from 8 to noon I'm going to do this, from uh, 1 to 5 I'm going to do this, and, and set aside those blocks of time like that. But he also does treat it like a job. Mm -hmm. um, and he enjoys his job mm -hmm. but at the same time getting to the level of professional author you do have to be able to dedicate yourself and um, discipline yourself to in some 
employees be able to treat it like a job. You know, you have to you have to show up. Uh, half half the work is showing up. You have to write. Uh, even if you yeah. if, even if what you're doing you you finish you're like this isn't working, but you have to you have to do that so you can see that it isn't working. You can find the way it will work. Uh, you have to work every day. Whatever, even if it's junky, even if if even if just start from scratch or you know throw out what you've done, because you can you won't see that if you don't write at all. <laughs> I uh. I don't remember now if it was Stephen King or Neil Gaiman uh, who was giving out writing advice on this particular topic, but they essentially said um, you can't edit something if there's nothing on the page to begin with. Yeah. And so, yes, you have to have words on paper before you can begin the editing process, and everybody goes through the editing process. Um I, I actually, on the advice of a friend, I actually did pick up Stephen King's book on writing. Um, I don't read Stephen King's novels. Generally speaking, I'm not a, a horror psychological fan uh, for that sort of thing. But his book on writing is about uh, his journey into becoming a professional author. It's a little bit of an autobiography, but it's also a lot of writing advice. Uh, and it is also well-written, so it is uh a good read in that regard. Um, and it's a very instructive book uh, on things like you have to have something on the page first before you can edit it, but you have to go back then and look at it with a critical eye and make sure that you are putting forth the best story that there is. The zero draft is always for the author. The author is the only one who ever sees the zero draft and then before you send it to anyone else, you're going to read through it again and edit it to your standards before handing it off to someone uh, who can look at it with a fresh eye. Right. Um, I think when I was doing the editing on my first novel, I, I will admit, by the end of the process, I was so tired of the book because I had read you it You read it like so 20 times. times. You're like, oh my God, I don't know if I can do it again. <laughs> it is so hard when you're reading it for the 20th time to actually read it and not let your eyes just skip over things. There's some interesting techniques to doing that uh, so that every time you edit it, you're looking at it with sort of a fresh eye. Um you can change the font size, the font type, the typeface, you know, that sort of stuff. Uh, there is another author that I know who, what they do, uh, it's a writing team, they actually read the entire book out loud during the editing process as part of the editing process to make sure everything sounds correct when you're saying it. Uh, there's also a thing on Word that you can have it read your document aloud. And it used to be, and this is something I just discovered because I'm, I'm, I started editing and it, it updated my Word. And it used to be a real monotone voice. Now it's a real person. It's a woman. And it's like really, it's like a Star Trek computer because it's 
Interesting. Yeah, it's it's much better. When I used to do it was just to see, you know, did I put two uh, loves in or, you know, something I my eyes missed. And I used that's why I used to do it is just um, – or, or did I skip a word? Because when you're writing really fast, you can do that. And, sure. And so if you have the read aloud thing, you can hear it, and you're like, oh, okay, got to fix that. Um, but now it's actually kind of cool because it's like, it's they still say words wrong because if you make up a, you know, a word because if you're creating a world, they're gonna say it wrong. You know, that's just par for the course. But it's kind of cool. Because you're, it's like having an audio book of your book before you, when you're still in the writing stage. That's very interesting. I will have to try that. Um, you know, when I get to that stage with mine, I've not had the computer read it back to me. That sounds like it could be very useful. It, it actually really is helpful because I really have a tendency to skip words. I you and when you read it back. It's this weird psychological bent. You've placed the word there because you know it's supposed to be there, but it's not there because you just didn't type it. But you're psychologically, when you're reading it, you think it's there. So I, it used to drive me nuts. But when I when I noticed this thing with uh, the uh, readback, the voiceback. I said, I'm going to try it. Lisa, even though it's a monotone voice, because at that time when I first started using it, um, it was. And But it helps me because I'll, I, I'll see that I put like two thes in or two us in. You know, it's a typo. Uh, but you miss it sometimes when you're just reading because you, your eyes will just adjust to what you know should be there. And you've, like you said, you've read it so many times. That yeah, that's one of the hardest parts of, of editing your own work is that problem exactly. It's funny, I just pointed at my computer when I said that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, no, it's, it's a real problem. And, and uh, you know, when, I, when I'm typing, when I'm, you know, in the groove and, and words are flowing and what have you, I type really fast. So I definitely miss words. So it's interesting. I will definitely have to try that method. Now, have you ever tried the dictation function? Um, I actually am thinking about doing it for this book because it's, it's a totally new structure and stuff. So I thought I'd read it in the dictator. I've never done it. I've never done dictation. So I don't know if I'm good at it or if it works. But, no, I haven't done it, <laughs> in other words. Uh, I kind of want to do it. Have you done it? Does it work well? Uh, I have done it, actually. And it it takes a little bit of getting used to because it, well, the last time I was doing it, the program I used did not automatically add punctuation. And so you would have to say things like, she said, comma, open quote, this is really good ice cream period, close quotes. And so you would have to do stuff like that. Now, I think, and that was several years ago, I think the dictation functions have gotten better. And on top of that, they are now innately embedded. Like a, um, if you're on a, a Mac, there is a dictation function that is native to the Mac. Uh, if within Word, there is now a native dictation function. 
Um, so some of it really depends on what dictation program you're using. Um, it does take a little bit of getting used to, but it, when I was doing it last time, I found that it really aided in writing faster and also after a long day of work, sitting at my computer and typing was a really hard, like it's just really hard to make yourself do that when mm -hmm. you're tired. Mm -hmm. However, if all you have to do is sit in front of your computer and talk. It's easier. It's easier. Or if you have uh, Bluetooth headphones that link into your computer, then you can stand or walk around the room while you're dictating. Um, <laughs> you know, that, and that's also helpful, uh, particularly after focusing or to focus on something after a long day at work. So I did find it very helpful. I really enjoyed it. Uh, my last book, I used Dragon Dictate, for which was a dictation program. Uh, unfortunately, they don't make that for Macs anymore, so I'm trying out some of the new native features for dictation, which do work but are a little bit clunkier, I guess, for, for that. But you have to see if the dictation works for you. You also have to learn how to speak slowly and clearly for the dictation. If you talk really fast, people that, that I know that talk really fast have a harder time using the dictation function. Okay, that's something I'll have to think about because that's one of my problems. <laughs> but yeah, I, just, but, I, I mean, hey, I'm, I'm an actor, I should be able to handle that. <laughs> it, it just requires, because I also normally speak really quickly. Um, and so it just requires mentally bringing it down a level and and really concentrating on speaking a little bit more slowly and clearly, which honestly is good for public speaking practice as well. Yeah. If you are prone to speaking fast. So it has multiple uses. Um, yeah, that's true. It's funny because um, this, is gonna, this is totally off topic, but when I was a young actor, and I was working in customer service, I found that because I had to pick up information and talk at the same time to my uh, customer, that I became a better actor because I could, I could act, I was terrible at cold reading, horrible. But after all those years doing customer service, I've become pretty damn good at it. Uh, it, it, it's just weird byproduct of uh, the way you have to work. To, I was uh, I've been I've been a travel agent. I worked insurance. I did all different kinds of customer service, but it's just a byproduct of dealing with all the information you have in front of you and continually talking to the client in a way that doesn't sound like you're. See, I hate sound being sounding canned and and not really talking like a human being so mm -hmm. I would I would hit the points I was supposed to hit but I would do it in my own way and usually I never got in trouble for that because all the points were hit um, but that's what I mean I, I just it just it's a weird byproduct of having to do that but so I should be able to dictate if I can do that, right? <laughs> and I would think so. I would really think so. I mean, like I 
said, it, it just it takes a little bit of practice and, you know, making sure that, the, that it is actually working for you. And, yeah, and, and once you've practiced it a little bit and you learn how to speak slowly and clearly for the computer, then I think it, it's, it's a good option, particularly for people who are, you know, tired of staring at a computer all day. Yeah. Um, I, uh, I do know authors who, you know, literally dictate into a, um, a recording device and then send it off to be transcribed into, you know, actual text. Uh, and they'll send it, they have, you know, again, this is a fairly large author uh, in terms of he's, he's been doing this a while. So he actually, has, he actually has a team that he sends his transcriptions off to, and they type it up for him and send it back. That is another method if you are willing to pay for it, obviously. Yeah. Uh, and, and still allows you to dictate your book, more or less. So There's an interesting byproduct for that. Um, I don't know if you're an Agatha Christie fan, but... Um, one of the things that they discovered recently were tapes that she did toward the end of her life. She she had a difficult time typing. Um, I, I'm not sure if it was arthritis or what it was. So she started uh, dictating her books. So you get to hear the voice of Agatha Christie. Oh, that's cool. Talking about her, uh, talking, doing her book or talking about her book. She dictate letters, her books, everything. Uh, and also her biography. She dictated her biography. Um, oh, that's cool. So you hear the voice of Agatha Christie. Who would ever... I mean, you, you did hear her for interviews and see her for interviews. But to hear her working, it's just super cool. <laughs> that's really cool. Um, I, I was unaware of that. I mean, I'm familiar with Agatha, Agatha Christie, of course, but... Right, it was a lot. Sixty-six. Yeah, sixty-six. Um, 
you know, so clearly she was good at her craft. Yes. <laughs> and being able to look at her method and see how she did it uh, is in and of itself very cool. And people don't realize how many different styles she did. I mean, you know, everybody, oh, she's the cozy writer, blah, blah, blah. She wrote, and then there were none. She wrote horror. She wrote the Mary uh, Westmacott, which was, um, uh, they call it romance, but they're not. there's nothing romantic about it. It's just about um, basically life uh, glimpses those books. That's the best way I can do it. Because they're fragile and they're sad and they're touching. They're very difficult. They're great to read, but they're very difficult to read because it's the most fragile time in human lives that she's writing about. It was her way of dealing with uh, the breakup with Archie and the disappearance and all those things. Uh, if you want to know what happened during those days that she was missing, you read one of the Mary Westmacott's because that's where she put it. <laughs> Interesting. Mm -hmm. it, it's not in her autobiography. It's not, in, and she never talked about it. Uh, but, you know, she's a human. She has to get it out. And she's a human who's a writer, so that's the way she did it. <laughs> so it's always interesting looking, in, looking back at, uh, you know, authors' works and seeing how their lives influence their writing. Mm -hmm. um, you know, Tolkien and the stories that he wrote for his son and how that, uh, how the war filtered into those is, is one of my favorite examples of that. Um, and being able to see how life and art work together in that particular manner. Or a Milne with the stories of Winnie the Pooh. That's just started as stories with the Pooh Bear that they bought him and making up stories to entertain her, their son. <laughs> it, it, it just, it, it, it's amazing where stuff, I mean, he was writing comedy stuff for Punch and stuff like that. It, it, that Winnie the Pooh was like the last thing he was going to write. <laughs> Well, it, it seems to have worked out well for her. Uh, yeah, multi-million uh, dollar yeah. sales, yeah, best-selling. I think still Winnie the Pooh is the, the best-selling children's book of all time, isn't it? Oh, I'm not sure. I don't have kids, so um, I, I don't, I don't keep up with those as much, but uh, it may be. I mean, it's a, a charming series of books. I remember reading it when I was a kid. Because adults read Winnie the Pooh. Mm -hmm. So it's it it's it's even though it's just like Harry Potter, you know, it, just because it's for kids doesn't mean adults don't read it, you know. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> um, so we're coming to the point where you get to pitch your book, tell about your new book. <laughs> okay, okay. Well, so the new book is a work in progress still. Uh, no, no publication date as yet. Um. But it is the follow-up book to my first novel. The first novel is called The First Sin, available on Amazon. And it's essentially a steampunk world. And the story follows the captain of an airship and her crew, who sometimes take legal jobs and sometimes take less legal jobs. And in the first book, they took a job they 
because it's generally speaking, I'm going to give away a plot point here, never a good idea to rob the Vatican. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So in book two, they are dealing with the ramifications uh, of having robbed the Vatican and not returned the stolen goods. And in book two, it's really about the crew and the friendship between the crew and the fighting off the trouble that they started for themselves in book one that's going to send them on a journey around the world um, to retrieve, it's, it's a quest. They're being sent on a quest. And on this quest, they have to retrieve different items of religious significance to defeat the bad guys, essentially, to defeat um, the abominations that they released in the first book by robbing the Vatican. And so it's primarily steampunk, but it does delve into uh, some fantasy aspects uh, dealing with uh, demons and religious figures and that sort of thing. So it's complicated. <laughs> it's complicated. <laughs> also, still a work in progress. So, uh, but the first one uh, has has gotten great reviews. Everybody loves it, which is fantastic, and uh, very pleased with that one. And so, book two will hopefully be uh, hitting, you know, shelves sometime in the next year or two, uh, as I write through the process and go through all of the editing and everything necessary for that. So, looking forward to that. Um, I have not totally decided if I'm personally going to participate in NaNoWriMo this year, um, but I think I might give it a try again, because it is an excellent opportunity to really dedicate yourself to getting words on paper, and uh, we'll see how that goes. How do you uh, get to that for people who've never done it? Um, Is there a website? Oh, that is a great question. Um, there is a website. So NaNoWriMo is, is N-A-N-O-W-R-I-M-O dot org. NaNoWriMo dot org. And that's where you can, uh, you know, sign up, sign in, track your word count. Um, you know, in years past, if you, if you hit the goal of 50,000 words during the course of the month, then they, at the end of the month, will have uh, discounts for, for those who made the 50,000 word mark um, on things like writing software and, um, you know, different things that are important for writers in the next phase uh, of their writing. And so it's a, it's a really cool organization. Um, it is a nonprofit, um, and... It basically, it provides tools and structure and community encouragement to help people, you know, achieve their creative goals and and with their writing. So, um, it, is a, it is a cool organization. I, I do recommend participating if you're trying to find the motivation to get that first book actually on the page. Um, you know, it's, it's a great organization, runs from, the, and the, the contest or event, however you want to call it, runs from November 1st all the way through the end of November, uh, right up to the last day. Cool. Um, 
we're at the end. Uh, I know you've been on the show before, but for those who don't know you, could you give a website if you have it and any social media? Absolutely. So you can find me on Facebook and Twitter. Um, and my Facebook and Twitter both are basically at J.A. Bronner. And then I also have a website, jessicabronner.com. And Bronner is B as in boy, R, A, W, N as in Nancy, E, R. So J.A. Bronner for Facebook and Twitter and jessicabronner.com uh, if you want to visit my website. Um, and the last thing is if you have any events that you're going to be in, this broadcast will be uh, at toward the end of November. Oh, okay. Well, I will be um, appearing at LostCon. I have several panels at LostCon. LostCon is the November 25th, 26th, and 27th. And I will have panels on Saturday the 26th, um, playing God, writing fictional, writing fictional universes, women in STEM, and everything you need to know about editing. Uh, will be all happening during the course of the day at LostCon. Great. Uh, thank you, Jessica, for coming on the show. I've missed you. It's great to have you back. <laughs> thank you so much, Sherry, for inviting me back. It's, it's great to chat with you again. It has been a while, um, and I really appreciate you inviting me back for another chat. Thank you. And thank you for chatting with Sherry. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.